0: This podcast is sponsored by Echelon. Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. With Echelon, you can work at any time, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text Genius to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, just text Genius to eighty one.
2: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Ryan Mathis. Uh, He's the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of Polarity TE, and we're going to talk about one of their innovative products called Skin Te, which uh, he'll describe. uh, Dr. Ryan, thanks so much for
3: coming back. Well, I appreciate it, Richard. Uh, Thanks for having me. And my CEO would kill me if I didn't change it to medical. But it is, I'm chief uh, medical officer. I was on. I was on the marketing side, though, so you're not all that far off. But with our change going down a different uh, FDA pathway, uh, we're really mm-hmm. focused more on the scientific side at the moment. Okay. And uh, and I get to use my medical degree, which is a, which is great too, right?
2: Okay. So for listeners, uh, CMO still CMO, but now a different and better CMO, chief marketing and medical officer. Gotcha.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, tell me a Thank bit you.
2: about um, you know polarity and the skin product
3: yeah so Polarity Te is a is a regenerative medicine biotech company and uh, and a little bit of how i I became involved is a bit of an untraditional pathway when I was in residency. I did my residency in plastic surgery at Georgetown and I got a call from a couple of plastic surgeons who I'd worked with in the past who who thought they'd figure out a way to regenerate full thickness skin and uh, my first thought is,, mm, I'm not sure I believe it, but these are smart guys they're from they're from hopkins you know I, i'll I'll check it out so I, I was uh, at that time, they were in Salt Lake City doing some large animal uh, trials and, uh, and so, after asking my wife and bringing her along with me, uh, since no way I could make the decision without, without her support, uh, we flew out there and I looked through the data uh, that they had on, on regenerating skin in, in the pig model and it was really it was really ga- groundbreaking, and so I was, I was left with a a tough decision because I was in my fourth year of residency at Georgetown. And I, um, after much deliberation and getting some good advice from mentors and, and friends, I decided to leave and, and join Polarity to help them develop this skin product. Uh, one of the reasons that I found it so important and, and such a calling to leave clinical medicine, which I never thought I would do, is uh, at Georgetown itself, they had a limb salvage program, which focuses on, on a disease called diabetic foot ulcers, which many people are aware, aware of. But in case, in case they aren't hmm. uh, the wound on the bottom, bottom of the foot that is common in, in patients with diabetes. Um, it, it occurs from movement of the foot or what we call sheer force. And, uh, and the problem is these little wounds on the bottom of the feet become much bigger, much bigger issues and they're incredibly common. Uh, about three and a half million people yeah. have a history of one.
2: I noticed in, um, in some older people, I guess their, their skin gets a lot thinner and it tears easily. So maybe the friction of walking you know, they get a small tear and then because of the diabetes, they don't heal. And I guess it turns into an ulcer. Is that how these things happen?
3: That's that's part of the story. Exactly. You know, one of the other important pieces with it is as diabetes progresses over time, it makes the nerves that go down to the feet less responsive. So you kind of get a numbness of the foot. And without knowing it, our body's pretty smart. So if we're walking on the outside of our foot all day, your body will shift and you'll kind of adjust and walk on the inside of the foot uh, to avoid those pressure points and without having the ability right. to feel down there called peripheral neuropathy they don't know that, that that those sorts of injuries are occurring so a mixture between some durability of the skin that that numbness that they feel and also blood flow so diabetes causes your vessels to to become calcified and and to have less flow down there and as you as you know the blood is is key to bringing oxygen in and especially for healing uh, but it also makes for a uh, a, a skin construct that is much more likely to break down. And so that hmm. trifecta uh, creates this problem where they get these small wounds and it's not just getting them, it's that they can, they're they very difficult without that blood flow to get rid of. 30% of people in five years are, die with a diabetic foot ulcer. That's how big of a deal a really? small ulcer can be. Well, um, what happens? How does
2: it tend to uh, progress in people and how could it cause them to die? Like what happens? Yeah,
3: that's a great question. So. Typically, what happens is that diabetic foot ulcer gets deeper as it progresses. About 17% of them end up getting an infection there. That infection can infect the, the bone that is uh, adjacent or, or deep to that diabetic foot ulcer once a bone is infected, it's got osteomyelitis, it's very difficult to get rid of with surgery. You can get rid of it with surgery in the early stages, but in the late stages, oftentimes you need to get an amputation. Uh, amputation oh, is, is a directly correlated with a decrease in lifespan. There's some debate around why that is. Some people um, have argued that the peripheral vascular resistance, your heart's pumping a shorter track, so to speak. And so it's against more resistance. But well, actually, if, you, if like- you had um,
2: if you had one foot amputated, let's say, or up to the knee, the blood pressure in the left leg versus the right leg would probably be substantially different, not just in the whole body. So, is there any literature on what happens if that if that goes on?
3: It does regulate to where it it balances it, but. The argument is there's still less tracks that the heart is pumping against. It has been more of the uh, common thought is that the, the decrease in lifespan is, is just secondary to a decrease in activity level. So it's a, it's a deconditioning. So even though we're great at getting, getting um, people that have amputations, prosthetics, and getting them to work with physical therapists that they need, it's a hard and uphill battle. And the ones that walk actually move more towards the uh, normal lifespan. And the ones who are never able to get out of, out of a wheelchair or unable to, to ambulate end up end up progressing with a, with a higher mortality rate in a shorter period of time, unfortunately. And so that amputation is the big, the big issue. And, and even at centers like Georgetown, which is focused solely on having a multidisciplinary team with doctors across 10 different specialties and probably one of the most famous surgeons and greatest surgeons to treat this, a guy named Chris Adinger, it's still is leading to, to amputations, even with the best of care. And that care is not ubiquitous across the country. That care um, changes uh, depending on, on the geography. And so it's a, it's a big problem. Uh, we have solutions that are okay, but I thought with seeing the technology that there was an opportunity to make an impact on that patient population that was really needed.
2: Yeah, what does a skin-te solution do? How does it help?
3: Yeah, the unique, the unique aspect of, of skin-te is really the fact that it's, it's what's called an autologous treatment meaning it came from the patient themselves, the cells that we take, and it's being used on those patients. We, we take a small sample of the patient's skin from a healthy area, like the upper body or the groin or the abdomen. We take out microcolumns of tissue from there that contain cellular populations that are needed to regenerate tissue. So your body has an innate ability to heal as we see if we get a cut on our finger. There's sort of two different ways you can heal. You can heal through scar tissue and disorganized collagen and you can heal through new tissue growth. Um, If the right cells are taken out and optimized for for engraftment back into the wound, then we can take their tissue, isolate those cells, optimize them for engraftment, put them back into the patient's wound after it's been cleaned, and then that tissue will grow over time. And what we hope to do with that is really to deliver a, a full thickness tissue that is more durable. So just like you said at the beginning, you know, it's skin durability on the foot is especially huge. Well, a scar is only going to ever be about 80% in its, in its most mature phase as strong as as native skin. So being able to deliver skin that's glabrous or like the thickness of your, of your foot is really important for these patients.
0: I've been working too hard and not working out enough. I wanted to get in shape, but I don't have time to get to the gym. Echelon brings the gym home to me. So right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off. MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text Genius, G-E-N-I-U-S, to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, text Genius to 818181 and message and data rates may apply. See terms for details.
3: And so being an autologous therapy is really the, the differentiator. We've focused a lot in medicine on, on stem cells and we've heard a lot about them. They're very, very exciting
2: You know, I guess with the ulcer open to the air, and there's going to be aerobic and anaerobic bacteria. And then, you know, how would you clinically apply this tissue to make sure that once you do, you're not sealing in bacteria that are just going to continue an infection on the inside? Like, how do you, how and when do you do this properly? Uh,
3: Great question. The standard of care for treating these is really focused around those types of of bacteria and getting away dead tissue. So debridement or the cleaning of a wound is an important mainstay of treatment now, but, and just as important with skin TE. So the first step of these is really to clean them well, to remove all that, all that dead tissue and and to try to decrease the bacterial load as much as, as much as you can. After that, we apply directly onto that wound bed after that tissue has been cleaned, skin TE, and we dress it over the top with like a Vaseline type gauze. Uh, There is always a chance that the bacterial um, load there is going to exist. There's thresholds, however, that, that we're looking at now, actually, in our labs with our R&D teams on, on what level those bacterial, what count from a bacterial standpoint that that tissue will live in. Either way, we suggest that they debride it as well as they would for what, what we traditionally would treat big wounds for, which is a split thickness skin graft those, those is about 10 to the seventh is the, is the scientific number that you want to get the bacterial load below to get those to live. Many people don't test for that because it's really just, you're just looking for a non-contaminated wound, but that is always a risk with these patients is trapping that in there. So we just try to, we just try to uh, advise the physicians to clean it as, as they see fit, you know, to try to move all that dead tissue uh, so that the bacteria doesn't have a place to really flourish.
2: Does anyone culture, I mean, in the literature, has anyone cultured diabetic foot ulcers at the site, inside the tissue, outside the tissue, and then healthy tissue and compared the microbiome and the microbes that show up? Does anyone have any uh, insight into that?
3: Yeah, they have actually. One of the um, methods uh, under uh, somebody I trained under would use is to culture it after each debridement and not, not close it until the culture, the quantitative culture, meaning the number of bacterial cells comes back negative. There's also been some studies on what's called a biofilm or the microbiome actually living below that outer level of tissue with arguments that you need a deeper debridement to really get down to the the deepest version. And that biofilm is is sort of like creating a shield around the bacteria itself. So even if you're treating it with local antibiotics or even systemic antibiotics, if that sort of shield around those bacteria is not broken through physical debridement, that you still may be looking at a wound that's going to be likely to get infected. That's another benefit really with skin TE that we're hoping to see is autologous tissues, your tissues right now, your skin has the ability to produce antimicrobial peptides that are small peptides that can fight bacteria that we've never really been able to harness and use as an antibiotic, you know, by growing your own skin. We're hopeful that we'll see benefits of those types of things, things as well.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. So, are you harvesting stem cells from people and then you're culturing them to grow the skin or how is the product made?
3: Good question. We take, the, we take an entire full thickness piece of skin. Within that skin, there are stem cells. One of the differences in the, in the thought process that, that we've taken with skin versus traditional stem cell thought processes with a stem cell, when it was discovered by Dr. Kaplan, it was about hitting it with a growth factor. And that stem cell could go down a variety of different cell lines to become a, any type of cell with one of the challenges that we've had is that an organ is a number of different types of cells and trying to get those different types of cells to interact and interface is the reason we've had trouble with, with regenerating a, a complete organ. So,
2: there's, a, there's probably a ton of cell to cell signaling of the adjacent tissues that helps, you know, not necessarily act as a scaffolding, but, you know, act as orchestration for what that tissue should do and how it should grow back.
3: Absolutely true. And that cell to cell signaling is complex. And as smart as we've been in the science world, we're not smarter than the human body yet. And so by taking a cluster of cells that, are, that, are, that have different layers of, the, of that organ, along with the stem cells, there's a cell-to-cell communication that can occur when those cells are stressed that enables them to differentiate down a variety of different cellular pathways rather than just a single cellular pathway. And that's, and that's really what the technology is based on.
2: Again, mechanically, like what, what do you do? You take a skin biopsy and then do you culture it? You know, how do you achieve the proper signaling? And then when do you put it back in? Do you put it back in? I guess, I guess there's a trade-off. The more you grow it, the more there is to put back. But the sooner you put it back, the more proper signaling there is and the more it'll grow, I guess, with the right shape. So I guess, I don't yes,
3: know. It's a good thought. We don't culture it actually. what what we do is we take out, when we take out that full thickness piece of skin, there are micro columns within that skin that contain the proper cellular populations that are needed for tissue regeneration. Those being isolated and spread out over the wound, rather than being just located in a a central portion of the wound or towards the edge of the wound, gives the wound to take advantage of of that regenerative population across the entirety of that surface of the wound. So the culturing, doesn't occur by us. The culturing and growth really occurs on the patients themselves, which makes sense because the body itself is the best bioreactor and everything we've tried to make through science has been trying to build a bioreactor that's as good as the human body in terms of, of growth. And so we use, we use the patient as, as their own bioreactor. And this, the, the skin growth is actually done on the patient while they're at home with their dressing over the top of it. Each time they come back, they take off the dressing and, and, um, and we hope to see skin skin growth and islands that expand um, throughout their, the entirety of their wound and, and eventually coalesce to form a, a full thickness skin interface.
2: Well, what about the periphery of a, of a given ulcer? You know, you debride it. So do you just apply this, this transplanted skin to the periphery of the wound and hope it grows into the center? Or do you have to provide a scaffolding of multiple, you know, I guess, plugs of skin that will cover an exposed wound area and then it sews together? Like, what, what's the best way?
3: Yeah. So that, that's, uh, I love the I love the question. Super, super specific science, which is, which is great. These are the, these are the most fun, the periphery of the wound. You do have to, you've got to eliminate the cells there when you are, when you're debriding it or cleaning it up, because what your body does on the edge of an ulcer is, is the epithelial or the outside cells kind of come around and form like a notch. So you, you grow like, becomes like a thicker border if you can imagine that um, That. The way that your, your body typically heals with just the outside cells, the epithelium or the most outer layer of the skin, is it, it notices it doesn't have a partner sitting right next to it called contact inhibition. If there is a cell next to it, it doesn't reproduce. If, it, if there's no cell next to it, it will reproduce. So those wounds will slowly contract from the outside in. So with, with skin TE, we have the ability to put those cells not just around the outside, because we're already going to get the benefit of the body's ability to heal to some degree on the peripheries of the wound. Those cellular microcolumns going in the middle and sort of spread throughout that wound gives us the ability to heal the wound from the inside out while the body's naturally healing it as well from the outside in. In doing so, we, we've seen in our, in, our pre-clinical, in our preclinical studies some reduction in what we call contracture, which is a scar kind of comes together and can limit motion of that skin, which is particularly important in burn and and some traumatic injuries over joint. And that's another area where we see potential for a product like this is, is uh, if we're if we're able to reduce contracture, we could we could have a, a lot of benefit for patients that have restricted motion currently because of scarring.
2: Well, if I have let's say a two centimeter or a three centimeter circular ulcer, you know, just making this up, you can treat the periphery, but do you put like islands of new skin in the center or in like maybe a, a pattern throughout the you know the wound? Throughout the you know the area of the wound so that it can sew together faster or with like how do you control the morphology of the the sewing together have you all experimented with different geometries that you know seem to work better depending on the shape and size of a given ulcer
3: the way that the tissue comes back to you is there's a paste that paste is sort of spread evenly over the surface of the tissue each of those micro columns like one of the one of the ways that that I talked to the clinical team about it is is as individual skin grafts. So each of those microcolumns is spread within that paste and they take on the wound bed as individual skin grafts. One of the benefits of that is the morphology then doesn't matter. Each, If it's spread sort of evenly throughout, let's say you get growth on half of it and the other half gets rubbed. They just happen to be moving or they put a shoe on or their dressing slipped. The expansion of those cells on, on one side of the wound have the ability to expand in the other side versus our traditional skin grafts are a sheet where if one side of that sheet is pulled, you can imagine all of that sheet is pulled and you have and you have loss of that potentially that entire skin graft. And so that that punctate sort of seed like micro column is spread evenly throughout the wound, regardless of the morphology.
2: That makes sense. And as it heals, though, I guess you have to debride some of the areas. But then you reapply the paste to the newly cleaned areas and you're slowly like, I guess, filling in pothole by pothole till so the whole thing heals.
3: In our randomized controlled trial, we did a single application on these uh, patients, and it was 50 patients with standard of care, 50 patients with skin TE. And if the wound was debrided or debrided earlier, early, the patient would get a second application of skin TE. But what we found was um, we had 70% healing in the skin TE group um, at 12 weeks, and we had 35% in the standard of care, uh, which is pretty well aligned with with the literature and the in the large uh, databases on on this type of diabetic foot ulcer, which is a Wagner type one or more of the superficial diabetic foot ulcer. What we found though was 90% of the patients, if it was debrided at that onset and skin TE was applied and it was not debrided again, only needed one application of the product, which is another big deal for me. In particular, I think I think that the healthcare economics around diabetic foot ulcers are, are challenging because it's, it's a growing population and a population that, that that leads to a lot of comorbidity and and uh, a lot of unnecessary hospitalization and unnecessary amputation at times. And oftentimes, the products that are currently used are applied up to seven or ten times uh, every two weeks. And and uh, you know, I think I think with a, with this population being able to offer you know a potentially more efficacious therapy that can be delivered once is less invasive to their lifestyle, but also better healthcare economically for for the entire healthcare system because diabetes is a is a big problem not only in the U.S. but worldwide.
2: Have you guys looked at also putting this on newly amputated limbs on the end of it so it heals faster and
3: better? We have talked. Yeah, we have talked about um, newly amputated w- limbs uh, limbs that have been amputated and closed and dehisced. Um, one of the other big areas of focus that's important to me in particular is pressure injuries or, or colloquially pressure sores or bed sores. During a time that we're in currently where we have a pandemic, where we have a lot of patients in the ICU and a, and a short healthcare staff who's been worked quite a bit um, and, and is really tired and, uh, and has done an amazing job. Uh, we, we're going to have patients who, who are going to develop more and more of these pressure injuries. Uh, there, are another you know 2.5 million people a year die from a pressure injury as well and through the same sort of progression as we talked about for diabetic foots. They get they get osteomyelitis of the deep bones underneath their underneath their back or the lower back called the sacrum or their pelvic bones, their ischium or ilium, and um, and those wounds stick around. It's very hard for these people to live a normal life. They have drainage from those areas. They they have constant um, need for offloading beds, which are beds that kind of continue to balance their weight. Um, and so it's another population where where I think there's a there's a potential for a big benefit from from an autologous product that offers a, a simple solution with those patients. They're oftentimes comorbid, meaning they have a lot of other things going on, as you know, and uh, taking them to the operating room for big surgeries is, is not always an option. And so being able to take a small sample of skin and, and uh, apply it as a paste for a potential solution is something that we're hoping to be able to deliver and give people who didn't necessarily have an option before an option now. So is
2: this uh, in clinic yet, or what stage are you at with, uh, with the product?
3: So the, the product was initially um, went through what's called the human cell and tissue-based products in the FDA and was commercialized. It's been used on about 1,200 patients, and then, you know, the, the randomized controlled trial, which I mentioned earlier. Recently, uh, through conversations with the FDA, we shifted our, our, our focus and our path, and we're now working with the FDA going down the biologic pathway, so we submitted uh, IND and uh, are in conversations around a, a clinical hold and and with the response to that clinical hold to get to get this IND open and and start a um, randomized controlled trial in the diabetic foot ulcer population uh, to pursue a biologic license uh, with the FDA. So we're we're excited about that path. It's a unique path in the in the wound care space that there's not a lot of products there, um, and I think it you know it gives us the ability to, to go a lot of different directions in terms of, of potential. Patients that we can address the need, as well as as well as, well as fixing some of the, the healthcare economic issues in the system.
2: So, is this in, is this clinically available, or if not, how long do you estimate?
3: No, it's not clinically available currently. As soon as we initiate the IND with the FDA, we'll be able to start enrolling clinical trials. Which patients who are candidates for that clinical trial will obviously be able to get to get the product, but it won't be clinically available until the the BLA is fully fully approved, which we're working with the FDA on, on what trials might be needed based on the data that we have and the, the patient populations that we've treated to date to, to really lock down those specific.
2: Makes sense. It's a very, very important product. Where can people find more about it and keep tabs on the progress?
3: Yeah, so polarityte.com has um, some information on, on SkinTE. There'll be more information coming out um, through, our, through our press releases as well. As we, as we navigate the, the progress, and we're really excited to, to kick off this IND and, and, and start the, the clinical trials, the additional clinical trials here to get patients treated. It's something we're passionate about, and uh, we're lucky to be in the position to have an opportunity to help those people.
2: Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank it's you an for, important topic.
3: I appreciate your time, and I, and I also appreciate the work you're doing on depression. I mentioned it before. I think it's a really important, uh, important issue, the, and uh, keep up that good work.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, which has been sponsored by Echelon. When you're trying to reach your fitness goals, it can really help to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown choreographing classes with music from your favorite artists like Pitbull. And you get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. Echelon gives you that. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun. They really know how to get you moving. And right now, for a limited time, Podcast listeners can get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text Genius to 818181 to get $800 off MSRP. Once again, text Genius to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. Please see terms for details.
1: You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.